Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you. It's good to be together. And, and hello to all of you on joining us. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jordan, and I'm one of the folks on the uh, puzzle person. If you like puzzles, would you? Okay. Couple of us smattering, if you will. Um, my mother in law and my wife Emily are kind of into puzzles. Uh, I've never been a big puzzle guy. Um, it's always kind of puzzled me. <laughs> um, and that out. Do a puzzle, kind of get the pieces out of the box. You lay the pieces out. You spread them out, and you put the box pieces that they're trying to put together, but they have they, they have no idea of what the end product is going to look like. They have nothing to go off of in front of them. They're literally figuring it out uh, in real time of what it means to be this new people of God. Uh, they had. New Testament. Uh, they had the Hebrew scriptures, but none of the gospels had been written yet. Uh, they had no buildings for an occupied people uh, in an occupied land. Jesus back up. Uh, they could go to earlychurch.org and click on what we believe and get a nice little neat list of all the proper doctrines that they're supposed to believe. They were literally figuring this puzzle out on the fly together as a community. And it's amazing when you consider all the things that they didn't have and yet how the early church, uh, early church experienced uh, growth, in fact, exponential growth. Um, but uh, this is our second week in the book of Acts, and um, there's a significant piece to this Jesus movement puzzle, if you will, that's, um, that's laid on us, that drops, that's, that's dropped on us um, uh, in, in Acts chapter 2. So uh, if you have your Bible, uh, if you could turn to Acts chapter 2, it's right in between Acts 1 and Acts 3. Um, and so uh, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. As riveting as it would be for, for you to hear me read 47 verses, I'm going to kind of break it up into chunks. So I'll read the first part of it. I'll kind of summarize the middle piece and then read the second um, uh, part of it. So here it is, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and, and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they, they are filled with too much wine. But Peter, standing there with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and listen to what I have to say. Indeed, these, they are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. I love that line. 
Now, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So uh, when, you hear, when we hear this word um, Pentecost today, we might think of Pentecostals or Pentecostalism. But if you're a first century Jew and you hear the word Pentecost, uh, you, th- th- this is the, um, uh, the 50th day after Passover. It's a powerful reminder to the Jewish people of the Exodus when God fulfilled his promise to Abraham by rescuing his people. So 50 days after, the first, um, uh, 50 days after Passover at the first Pentecost, The Israelites came to Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law, this new way of life for God's people to live in the world. So this mention of Pentecost by Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is not a nice little tidbit of information. He wants to link this pivotal event from the history of Israel's past to this new event of God's new people, giving them a new way of life in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the scene that Luke describes in the beginning of chapter 2 is a scene that is multicultural, it's multi-ethnic, and multilingual. And uh, building on kind of what Ethan emphasized last week, where Jesus told the disciples that they would go to Jerusalem and Judea and the ends of the earth. And how undoubtedly when the disciples first heard that, especially the, the end of that statement, they were probably a little perplexed of Samaria, the ends of the earth, that didn't quite fit their paradigm of who God's people would be. But now, this scene, we're kind of getting a first taste of this power that Jesus spoke about and how through this powerful spirit, God's covenant people will expand its borders and include all people. From the beginning, literally from the beginning, these followers of the way, this Jesus movement was not a monolith. From its inception, there was diversity. This new, diverse community was revolutionary in the first century. And honestly, it probably would be a bit unique today as well. In our society, as well as in our church, we've seen a growth in the popularity of phrases like multicultural or multi-ethnic or diversity. Like, hey, we need to make this school more diverse. Or our company needs more multi-ethnic staff and senior leadership. Or uh, this ministry needs a multilingual staff person. And these are all good and even godly pursuits. And this desire can often uh, come from a good place of wanting uh, something, whether it's a school or an organization or a, um, a business, to be, uh, to, be more, to be a more just place for all people. But our culture can be tempted um, to think of this in two, in, uh, in, uh, in two ways. There can be two temptations when they think of this. Number one, our culture can think that this is a new idea. And number two, we can think that this is something that we can only do on our own. That we can think this is a new idea, that because we are this enlightened people, um, after the Enlightenment, that we, are, uh, are, uh, we as enlightened and modern people can bring culture into the 21st century with this new idea of multiculturalism. And that uh, this is something that we can only do on our own. But our text this morning, uh, this afternoon, sorry, <laughs> it's not the morning, uh, but our text this afternoon tells us, suggests to us, that this is not a new idea. It was a reality on day one of the Jesus movement. They weren't doing this because it was popular, nor uh, did they come up with this idea on their own. 
This was God's plan all along, and this is how God's new covenant people are going to look. None of this was done of their own idea or their own plan, and none of it was done solely on their own power. But it was, this was God's plan, not the song by Drake, but literally, this was God's plan. Only a couple people got that joke. It's okay. Drake's like, he's kind of like the new hill song. You'll love him. Um, but uh, uh, this was not something that they came up with on their own, and this was not something they could solely do on their own power. But it was God's original idea, and it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this quote from N.T. Wright as he describes and comments on the second chapter of Acts. This work of God is wonderfully inclusive because there's no category of people which is left out, both genders, all ages, all social classes, that it's not just the 12 disciples. It's not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all people. So Peter goes on and uh, from in, in um, verses 19 through 36 and he goes to the Israelites, this crowd, and tells them about who Jesus is. He says that this is the one, this is the long-awaited Messiah that the people of Israel have longed for. And he describes them what Jesus had done and how he is now this Messiah that Israel had been, has been waiting for. And then I want to pick it up in, uh, in verse 37. Here's what it says. Now when, the, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls on him. And he testified with many others, with many other arguments, and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, this scene that's described, this kind of communal way of life, this is like a hippie hipster's dream, right? Like this is total like community living. Like we share our bikes together. We share, share vinyl. We share coffee, bro. Like we don't shower. Like this is the hipster's dream right here, right? In fact, one might look at this and say that this way of life is a very equitable and just way to live. Another popular word that we hear today, equity. This school budget is not equitable. Our company needs to exhibit more qualities to, uh, to be equitable to, towards all its employees. Again, not a new idea from day one of the early Jesus movement, this idea of a just and equitable society. 
I think you would be hard-pressed to find someone, regardless of their religious or political affiliation, who would read these last verses of chapter 2 and not say that this is an attractive way of life. Or at least that some of those qualities are an attractive way to live. Much of our history in the world is filled with governments and dictators and systems and policies who have either tried to recreate this or tried to make promises and false hope of making this happen. But if we look at the community that's described in the beginning of the uh, second chapter, and we look at this new way of life that's described at the end of the chapter, what made this revolutionary, diverse, just mission community possible is that they were defined by their center and not their boundaries. They were defined by their center and not their differences without disregarding or dismissing their differences. We typically define ourselves both in our society and unfortunately in the church by our differences, by our theological differences, our political affiliation, race, class, gender, sexual orientation. The list goes on, right? It's not that our differences are not significant or that we must disregard them as minor parts of who we are. It's not that they don't mean anything. For the early Jesus movement, it was that the differences didn't mean everything. The crucified and risen Jesus meant everything. And it was this Messiah and the power of the Spirit that they continued to recognize as their center and what would define them. Listen to this quote from Richard Rohr from his book, The Divine Dance, as he describes the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has two jobs. First, the Spirit creates diversity, exemplified in the metaphor of wind, just breathing out ever new life in endlessly diverse forms. And then the Spirit has another job, that of the great connector of all of those very diverse things, all this chloroform life, the Spirit keeps in harmony and mutual deference. So the Spirit brings in all this diversity and then connects it together. So you have diversity and um, connection. And the early Jesus movement was centered and defined by their connection and not just their diversity. We'd be foolish to think that this community in Acts 2 was some utopian existence with daisies and roses where everyone's smoking a J and listening to Freebird. If you don't know what a J is, kids, it's Jesus, okay? Um, We would be a fool to think that there is uh, no disagreement There was probably undoubtedly disagreement, arguing, division, hard conversations, people who were hurt and offended, misunderstanding. But at the end of the day, what defined them was not the walls of first century society that divided them, but the one who broke down the dividing wall of hostility. The Holy Spirit was the one who made this possible. This is not a new idea. This is not a cool modern thing that we can kind of post about on social media so we can be woke. This was the early Jesus movement from day one. This Holy Spirit created a new multi-ethnic community. It created a bold proclamation of the risen Jesus to a new group of people. It created a whole new way of living life that was attractive and grew rapidly, bringing in all types of people. And friends, listen, we as Jesus people must lead the way in this conversation and movement towards diversity, inclusion, 
justice and equity, not because it's a new and popular idea, but because this is a foundational new creation way of life in and through Jesus the Messiah that was solely, that, that was the reality on day one of the church. And this is not something that we can do solely on our own, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the power, the fuel, the engine that drove the early days of the church. And it took it to places that no one, including the original disciples, could have ever imagined. This Holy Spirit power is what our world needs today and why we as the church in 2020 are in desperate need of this powerful spirit. Because, friends, this is not a new idea, and this is not something we can accomplish on our own skill by being more enlightened and getting more information. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit, because this was God's original plan for God's new covenant people. Amen? And this is why we as Missio Dei Church must develop a deeper awareness of the Spirit that we too might take this Jesus movement to people and places that we could, we could have never imagined. And so I, I want to uh, invite us to consider three important Holy Spirit characteristics or three important indicators of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to preface this by saying that Jesus had some harsh words for people that blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So please do not take this as gospel. Uh, this is, these are some rough sketches that I've tried as best I can to keep rooted in Scripture, in tradition, but uh, as well as my own experience. So here's the first characteristic. The Holy Spirit is a person, and this person is not an add-on. The Holy Spirit is a person, and this person is not an add-on. When I took a, a seminary class, uh, it was a soteriology and um, um, Christology and soteriology, so, soteriology class. Those are really fancy words. But it's the, the, the study of the nature of who Christ is and soteriology, kind of the, what it means that the, uh, the human race has been rescued in and through Jesus. And um, in the first couple of days of the class, my professor, she, she, she would make these tallies on the whiteboard, just kind of in the middle of uh, discussions or question and answer. She would just go, go out on the board and make these tallies like she's keeping track of something. And we we're all kind of confused by this. So by the second day, somebody said, Professor, what are you marking on the board? What are you kind of keeping track of? And she said, I'm making a mark every time you refer to the Spirit as an it. Because she says that we say that we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. But oftentimes, I think in our practice, it's as if we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Book. And that kind of stopped me in my tracks. I thought there is a lot of wisdom and truth to what she's saying. The Holy Spirit is a person. Going from a person to a thing might seem like a small semantic difference with little impact, but I, I, I disagree. I think it's profoundly significant. If the spirit is an it, it can be easily, easily understood and perhaps even managed. It's easier to wrap our mind around an object that we can stand over, over and against and objectify and define and distinguish from other things. But a person, a person, a person is dynamic. A person has movement. We can't control another person. A person is going somewhere and doing some things and sometimes can be unpredictable. We can talk about the Holy Spirit as if we're seeing the Spirit as a green swirl on a Weather Channel radar screen versus getting outside in the middle of the storm 
and being caught up in the power and movement of the Spirit. We can talk about the Holy Spirit as if we're trying to reduce our favorite song, a song that when we hear, when it comes on, it takes it to a different place. It would be like taking your favorite song and simply reducing it to a piece of paper with chords, notes, and the proper key, as if that encapsulated the fullness of what it means to be caught up in the awe, wonder, and glory when the song gets a hold of us. The Holy Spirit is a person. And this powerful spirit was on the move 2,000 years ago, and it's on the move right now. And Lord, help us if we don't see this person. The Holy Spirit is not an add-on. There's nothing extra that needs to happen or some experience that you must have in order to get the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that drew you to Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit that led you to repentance. It's the Holy Spirit that enables you to follow Jesus and live out his kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit that alerts you when your heart and soul, that alerts your heart and soul when there are things in your life that are destroying the shalom that God intends for you and for all of creation. The Holy Spirit is a person, and this person is not an add-on. Number two, when the Holy Spirit moves, this Spirit usually moves outward toward the other. When this Spirit moves, this Spirit usually moves outward toward the other. The primary movement of the Holy Spirit is not just to give us some personal experience where we feel better about our current situation and escape this world to a heavenly experience. No, the Spirit moves in us to move out from us to transform this world so that the kingdom might come on earth as in heaven. This is not to say the Spirit can't speak to us personally or reveal things to us personally, but the end goal is not us. The Spirit's movement doesn't end with us. The Spirit's movement starts with us and moves out from us to the world. Just look at our text this afternoon. It's constant outward movement. Movement out to a new diverse people, expanding what it means to be God's people. Movement out to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus to the Israelites. Movement of those newly repentant Israelites to be baptized and receive this powerful personal spirit. Movement out to create a new mission community that would be God's new covenant people. Movement out where they would be added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Constant movement out. When this spirit moves, it usually moves outward toward the other. The third characteristic. Holy Spirit moments and Holy Spirit events tend to be a bit strange but always move toward a wider vision of the kingdom. Holy Spirit moments and events tend to be a little strange, a little weird, a little peculiar, but always move towards a wider vision of the kingdom. In the first century, if there was an outsider looking in on the scene that's described in the early part of the chapter and the way of life that's described at the end of the chapter, one of their first responses would be, what a strange group of people. There's no desire in this group to gain any sort of power. There's a concern for the other. Their, their concern for the other seems to supersede individual concern. The care for those outside of the group seems to be the same, if not greater, than those who are inside the group. And there's no sort of outward defining characteristic. It's not like they're all wealthy. It's not like they're all men. It's not like they're all women. It's not like they're all dressed the same. It's not like they all have the same origin. 
Who are these people and why are they all together in the same place? It does not fit a first century paradigm. And newsflash, it wouldn't fit a 2020 paradigm either. <laughs> That's why they say, they must be drunk, right? That's the only option. There's no other, they just can't figure it out. They must be drunk. This all seems a bit odd. And if this were lived out today in 2020, we would probably say the same thing. The power of the Spirit widened the limits and thought of what it meant to be God's people and who it was that would be God's people. That it's bigger than the disciples could have ever thought of, ever dreamed of to include all people because Christ has reconciled to himself all things. Some of you know this, but um, a couple of years ago, um, I, I, uh, if you don't know, I am on staff with uh, Young Life, uh, which is like a life insurance company. Um, but uh, it's not that, by the way. But uh, a couple of years ago, um, kind of by accident, actually, I, I don't think it's by accident. I think it was a movement of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we were privileged to have this, um, a significant number of Muslim students be involved with Young Life. And uh, a couple of years ago, of the 55 kids that we took to camp, 20 of them were Muslim. And it was a little peculiar, and it was strange. And to, I didn't know how to figure it out. And there were kind of people on the outside that were like, what, what is this group of people on the bus together? This just doesn't, this doesn't quite fit my paradigm. How, 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 how does this work? And um, throughout the week, the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly and just said, Jordan, these kids too. These kids, too. For whatever reason, my, my, my vision or paradigm for how to do ministry with high school kids was very narrow, as it often is. Most things in life, in terms of how I view the kingdom, is very narrow. And yet the Holy Spirit was pushing it out, saying, no, 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 these kids, too. These kids, too. It didn't make any sort of sense. I didn't know how, what I really didn't know what I was doing. But it was a clear sense that something beyond me was moving me towards this, saying, these kids too. And I'll never forget, one of my favorite memories was the first night at camp as they're walking into the dining hall. What I had done is I had called the kitchen a week before and I said, hey, we have 20 kids in our area who are Muslim. And so can you make sure that every meal they have has no pork in it? And as they came in the dining hall, I could see it on their faces. They began to sit down. They were worried, what was the menu going to be? Um, would they be able to eat it? They're kind of whispering to their friends, what should we do? You know, do, you, do you have anything else that we could eat in case there is pork in this meal? And I leaned over and said, hey, we got you. We have your own meal. And you could see their eyes just light up. And the moment there, the kingdom moment, the Holy Spirit moment, was that those kids did not feel welcome. They felt like they belonged. It's a huge difference. These kids, too. Whatever my picture of the kingdom was got smashed to pieces, and rightly so. It didn't really make a lot of sense. There were kids who said, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. And the first thing that I thought of in my mind is, this doesn't fit my paradigm. I don't get this. This is peculiar. This is strange. This doesn't make sense. These kids, too. When the Holy Spirit moves, this spirit moves in a very peculiar and strange way that is constantly messing and shaking up our paradigms. And praise the Lord for that. These kids, too. So when this spirit moves, it tends to be a bit strange, but always 
moves towards a wider vision of the kingdom. Here's one challenge that I would love for us to do as a church this week. It's really simple, but really difficult, okay? I would love it if we could commit to this week praying this one simple prayer. This is it. Holy Spirit, make me acutely aware of your presence. Lead me and guide me. That's it. Holy Spirit, make me acutely aware of your presence. Lead me and guide me. I would love for us as a church to pray that this week. Maybe before going into that conversation this week that you're really nervous about. Maybe, uh, maybe as you're just walking in the door from work and your home is in chaos and you just take a deep breath. Maybe it's before that conversation with a neighbor that you're not looking forward to. Maybe there's um, a family member in crisis and you know you have to have some really hard conversations and this would be a great prayer to pray before heading into that conversation. But can we as a church commit for just this week to pray that prayer? Holy Spirit, make me acutely aware of your presence. Lead me and guide me. And my hope and prayer would be that this time next week, we could come back and share stories of how the Holy Spirit has led us to new places that maybe we didn't think of or to new conversations that we, we didn't think that we would have the wisdom or capability to be in, but it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our hearts, minds, and souls, and our whole body. Spirit, we know that you are present here with us. So I pray that you would flow in and through all of who we are. Not for our sake, but for the sake of your kingdom coming in this community as it is in heaven. I pray, Lord, that we would be diligent to pray the prayer to be made acutely aware of the presence of the Spirit and that the Spirit would lead us and guide us this week and take us to places we never thought that we could go. I pray your Holy Spirit would remind us of our beloved identity in you as your daughters and sons, that that is who we are, that may we live and move and have our very being in the reality of our beloved identity through the power of the Holy Spirit. We long for a just, equitable, diverse, multicultural church community, global church. But Lord, we know that this cannot be done on our own. And that we know that this is not some new modern idea, but this is your heart. This is your mind. This is what new creation looks like. And may we be new creation people through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.